What fuels our next step when the journey is daunting, facing seemingly insurmountable odds? When failure has been our companion, why do some choose grit when others quit? The capacity for grit is what the writers of Scripture called endurance or perseverance. Perseverance is the shape of a heart that's increasingly able to honour its commitments, live out its calling, and rise above the hard to reach the hope. Some call it grit, some resilience. Whatever you call it, it's simply the shape of a heart that refuses to quit hoping that God's best is yet to come. It's the grit in your soul that finds traction for blessing in the most difficult circumstances. And there is a pathway to these gritty blessings that will lead to a resilient life. Jesus once shared them in a mountaintop moment. Eight steps to building a resilient life. When Keith Stonehouse started receiving a burst of orders from Grubhub, it didn't take long to discover the source. Keith had given his six-year-old son Mason his phone to play with before bed, and, and lying there in bed, Mason realized he was hungry. So he started ordering food, a whole, a whole lot of food. Why, Keith asked his son, who was hiding under his comforter. Mason replied, I don't know, Dad. I was, I was hungry. Mason then interrupted his dad's disciplining lecture to ask if the pizzas he had ordered had come yet. They, they hadn't come because the $439 pizza order was canceled by the bank. It looked like a scam, fraudulent. But lucky for Mason, the rest of the orders went through and over $1,000 worth of food was delivered. Filled their fridge and more than one neighbor shared in the bounty. Kind of like a new front yard mission event. Stonehouse said, I had to keep stepping out of his room to calm down. You want to yell, but he's only six, and he's hungry. The next day, Keith and his wife sat down with their son and explained that because he did this without permission, they would have to use the $150 in his piggy bank to help pay for all the hot dogs, chili cheese fries, jumbo shrimps, hamburgers, and ice cream that he had ordered. Who knows what we'll do if we're hungry enough. You know, if you think about it, most of the good and probably an awful lot of the bad stuff that happens in the world happens because somebody is hungry for something. And so we create it, or we take it, or we go to battle for it, we train and we sacrifice it. It fills our minds and it shapes our souls because ultimately our hungers aim the direction of our life. But, but here's the most difficult part. Even when we get our heart's desire, our souls, our souls are not satisfied, and And then Jesus comes along and he speaks these eight simple principles that form a pathway to kingdom thriving that that we cannot fully imagine. Blessed are the desperate, the broken, the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Satisfaction guaranteed. Now, that's quite a promise, isn't it? You will be satisfied. But we've heard it before, every commercial, every influencer is promising satisfaction. What I want to know is, can he deliver? Can Jesus deliver? Because I don't want to be mentored on business innovation by blockbuster video. There there are some amazing athletes out there who I'm not going to go to for parenting advice. And if Taylor Swift is teaching the marriage seminar, I ain't going. I don't want to learn about satisfaction from someone who's never been satisfied. But when you, when you dig into Jesus and you see how he lived and how he died and what he started and how he loved people and made a difference in the world, and you just kind of start thinking, okay, maybe he's got something. You know, sometimes we get this picture of Jesus all meek and mild and okay when it comes to spiritual stuff, but throw him out in the real world. And what does he do? He gets crucified. But man, there has never been anyone like 
my Jesus. If he would have set his sights on teaching, he would have been prof of the century, wisdom beyond knowledge, and an amazing ability to communicate. If he had set his sights on power, politics, leadership, he would have been unstoppable. As a friend, he was beyond compare. As a servant, he changed all the paradigms of leadership. As a man of character, nobody loved with as much integrity as he did. He blew the religious leaders away with his miracles and his intimacy with God, and the political leaders were blown away by his wisdom a man who would sacrifice his reputation for a prostitute and give his life for an enemy. I mean, for centuries, even people who don't even believe that he's the Son of God have studied his life to glean what they could from how he lived and who he was. And, and when the people of his day looked, they saw it too. He, he had it all, and if he didn't have it, everybody figured he could probably get it. And so his Kingdom Life seminar was standing room only, crowds from Galilee and the, the ten cities of Decapolis, Jerusalem, and way beyond the Jordan to Syria. They were all coming to him to learn the secrets of the blessed life. And so he takes us up the mountain, away from all the distractions. And when we're seated close enough to hear without a microphone, because this is more like a conversation than a conference, he begins to speak. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, it says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So, so here's the question that I, I want to start you with today. Just ask yourself, am I living a satisfied life? Am I living a satisfied life? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, the hunger and thirst, that speaks of, you know, it's a, it's a metaphor Jesus is using. There's very real realities to it, but to hunger and thirst speaks of ambitions and, and strong desires and driving pursuits, a passionate force within our soul. Hungry people don't easily quit. They've got grit. Hunger is a gritty blessing. So, so who is it that comes to mind when you think of hungry people? We often think of athletes, right? We, we have some hungry athletes at Calvary. Stefan Wisniewski, Super Bowl champ. Bo Nickel, future MMA legend. Susan Fructal, great basketball player at Penn State. We have some people who coach hungry athletes. You know, a, a team filled with hungry people is a coach's dream. No need to motivate them. You just point. But hunger and thirst isn't just for athletes. You, you find it in all areas of life, politics, leadership, school, work, kids hungry for a word of affirmation, a scientist seeking a cure for cancer, or an artist hungry to express what's in her heart in a way that will change somebody else's heart. Or how about just the hunger to be loved, to be seen, to matter? You know, this year the Surgeon General released an 85-page advisory declaring loneliness to be the new public health epidemic in the United States. Our epidemic of loneliness and isolation, he wrote, has been an underappreciated public health crisis that has harmed individual and societal health. Just people hungry for friends, thirsty for community, thirsty for love. Not everyone hungers and thirsts. It's a God thing. He created us with, with this built-in desire. There's something in our hearts that tells us there's, there's more. We, we all have this restlessness, a, a desire to be satisfied. Tim Stafford worked for three months washing dishes in a Connecticut diner, and during a conversation he was having with a waitress, a, a bone-weary divorcee, always anxious 
George Harrison's song, My Sweet Lord, came on the speaker in the dining room. And and hearing the words, my sweet Lord, I, I really want to know you. I really want to know you, but it takes so long, my Lord. Hearing those words, the waitress stopped and, and shared with Tim what she described as a, a deeply religious experience that she'd had just the day before. She was listening to that very same song, she said, and as she listened, she burst helplessly into tears. Why did I do that? She asked. I can tell you why. It's because we're hungry for something more, something God-shaped. And, and we usually go where our hunger aims, but so often we go to stuff that will not satisfy. And so we find our hands full, and yet our lives are empty. The prophet Isaiah put it like this in Isaiah 55, verses 2 and 3, said, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen to me, Isaiah said, and eat what is good. He's speaking on behalf of God. Listen to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in abundance. Come, listen to me so that your soul may live. Now, I don't know, maybe this resonates with you, maybe it doesn't, but you've got a hole in your heart that never stays full, a restlessness that you cannot place, always wrestling with disappointment, a disappointment that sometimes comes in spite of gaining what you thought would satisfy your heart. I got good news for you. What if the disappointment you feel is actually the whisper of the Spirit of God inviting you to a better desire. I love the picture that C.S. Lewis paints when he says in his book, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the life promised to us in the Gospels, it seems that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. So like an ignorant child, he writes, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what the offer of a holiday at sea is like, we are far too easily pleased. Are you too far easily pleased with the mud pies of life? Jesus has something to say about our desires, about the hunger of our hearts and the never-ending thirst of our souls. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. So let's not leave this gritty blessing without making sure we're all on the same path, because there is a path. It, it, it starts with brokenness, a brokenness which leads to mourning, and, and that draws in this sense of gentleness, the strength under control, and, and then it leads to a new hunger, so listen to this gritty blessing story. And as you listen to the story, just kind of listen a little bit for the path. My name is Karen, and this is my gritty blessing story. My husband and I were married six years before we had children. And those years were some of the best years of our marriage. We then started our family and had two children, and those first 10 years were were true joy. We were so in love and um, were so happy to have a family. A year after our son was born, my husband needed to have some surgery, and we were hopeful that the surgery would relieve some nerve pain that he was having. In the months following the surgery, we realized that um, this nerve damage was permanent and that it could not be repaired. 
to manage the chronic pain that he felt day in and day out. He was prescribed many different painkillers. And these painkillers, while they did help manage the pain, had many negative side effects. And over a period of years began to change my husband's personality. Um, They're also highly addictive. So each time a pain medication was changed, our family experienced uh, his withdrawal from those medications. There was one evening in particular where my husband's pain was extreme. And it was heartbreaking to see him endure this kind of pain. I put my children to bed and I helped him to bed. And I went to the kitchen to wash dishes. And as I was in the kitchen, I felt so alone and I just dropped to my knees and I cried out to God. I asked him why. I told him that I was so tired of being a caregiver and that I couldn't do this anymore. And as I sat in the middle of my kitchen floor, I sensed a strong presence. I knew that God was in the kitchen with me and he allowed my heart to hear him speak. His question to me was, Do you want relief, or do you want righteousness? I didn't exactly understand what he meant by asking me if I wanted righteousness, but he did allow my heart to understand that while I was striving to be a Proverbs 31 wife and mother, I was striving to do it all in my own strength, and that if I were to have the energy to continue the journey that lay ahead, I needed to fully surrender. The months and years continued to pass, and my husband's health continued to deteriorate. The pain got worse, the options for treatment seemed to decrease. In 2019, my husband had some routine tests, and one of those tests indicated that he had gastric cancer, which is stomach cancer. The oncologist shared that they felt the cancer had come from the many years of him being on the pain medications. They also shared with us that he had three months to live. Those next three months were so messy. They were so hard. He spent a month after the diagnosis in in in-home hospice and the cancer spread to his brain and at that point I was no longer able to take care of my husband in our home and I had to place him in a nursing home and I remember one evening as I was leaving the nursing home I I was in such despair, I was exhausted, and I was really feeling hopeless. It was a gray December afternoon, and I was leaving the parking lot, and I looked up into the sky, and I saw the glow of a sunset. I was confused. I didn't really understand why the sunset was there on this gray afternoon. 
And once again, I sensed a strong presence in my car that, that God was there. And it was very similar to the presence I experienced in my kitchen five years earlier. And once again, God allowed my heart to hear him speak. And he told me that my husband was now in his hands, that I had chosen righteousness, and that my days as a caregiver were coming to an end. My husband passed three days later. In the three years since my husband has passed, God continues to heal my heart. There is still a very big hole in my heart, but God is filling it. He brings me relief and the knowledge that my husband is now healed and with him brings healing to me. So really, Karen was asking the question, what is righteousness? I mean, that's a key question, right? We need to understand what Jesus says is our heart's desire. I, I know food hunger. I've hungered at points for family and comfort, for friendship and success. I've hungered to be known. But what is this righteousness that should be our hunger and thirst, Jesus says? Well, well, Jesus uses the word righteousness five different times in the Sermon on the Mount. So, so let's start there. There's other places we could look as well, but, but let's just start in the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, those were the really religious people of his day, exceeds that of the religious leaders of your day, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You don't even get in. Now, now, what does this mean, Pharisee exceeding righteousness? I mean, these were the, the moral leaders of, of that culture. But Jesus goes on to list a number of areas where the righteousness of the Pharisees did not measure up. And, and then in Matthew 6, he criticizes them for doing spiritual stuff like prayer and, and giving and fasting because they're simply doing it for the eyes of others because of what others will think of them. See, I think in all of this, what Jesus is saying is that righteousness is more than religious activities. It's more than doing good stuff. It's more than doing spiritual stuff and good deeds. Religious activities aren't bad. They're just not enough. Now, Jesus uses the word righteousness a second time in the Beatitudes, not not just this time that we're looking at now, but then a second time where he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. So let me just take a, a moment here, just kind of pause, and let me try to paint a clear picture of this path of gritty blessings. I, I've said multiple times, right? These are not just eight unrelated blessings, and you just pick your favorite one and dive in. It's actually a path, a process, and it starts with blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then blessed are those who mourn, and then blessed are the meek, And then blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And then then we go on and it says, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, and blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for to them belongs the kingdom of heaven. Now every week I've said that this is not an unrelated grouping of eight blessings. Just pick one and dive in. They're a pathway of gritty blessings. And it begins with brokenness. That's at the top. Or, Or more specifically, with a realization and, a, and an embracing of our brokenness. 
God doesn't break us. We're already broken, and, and we just need to embrace that. Blessed are the desperate, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the beginning of the path. You, you can't skip it. It starts here for all of us. The path to gritty blessings always includes an embrace of our brokenness, which then leads to mourning, and then leads to gentleness and the surrender of our strength so that we can receive God's strength, which is always strength under control. And then this pathway of gritty blessings, don't miss this, it begins and it ends with the kingdom of heaven, right? The kingdom of heaven bookends our path. It's our ending and our beginning. We start there and it's our destinations. There, there are no blessings without it. But, but let's take it even a, a level deeper because you might also notice if you're, you're, you're looking at this pathway that these gritty blessings break into two groups of four. And each group ends with a focus on righteousness. The first group ends with today's blessing. Be, the, the, the second, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And then the second group ends with the last blessing. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for to them belongs the kingdom of heaven. So when we recognize our brokenness, it leads to mourning and we empty ourselves of, of our agenda and our strength, and that brings meekness, this gentleness, which is an emptying of our strength. And, and you see what's happening? We're, we're getting emptied out. The first four gritty blessings are all about emptying myself out. And as I get emptied out, my heart is starting to change. The desires of my heart are starting to change. I, I've often said as a pastor that my goal is not to change what you believe. My goal is to change what you care about. Because if I can change what you care about, you will change what you believe. I think in the Beatitudes, Jesus is trying to change what we care about. And it starts here. We begin to hunger for something different. Our desires are changing. We get emptied out, and now we begin to hunger for something different. Our desires are changing. We start to hunger for righteousness, and we begin to get filled. In fact, in verse 10, we get so filled with righteousness that we even experience some persecution, just like Jesus did. In other words, we're becoming like Jesus, merciful and, and pure in heart, 100% all in for God, making peace and, and forgiving people and, and reconciling relationships and, and, and bringing this wholeness everywhere we go. This is Christ's righteousness. This is how Christ lived and how he calls us to live. So in the first half, we're getting emptied out so that we start hungering for something new. And then in the next half, we're getting filled up. We're getting filled up with mercy and purity and peace so that we can be a light to the world, the salt of the earth. And, and finally, this is the most important part. If you've been distracted up to this point, then put it all aside and just don't miss this. Because ultimately, it's not just the what of righteousness that we need to discover. It's the who. Whose righteousness? And so we come to the very last time that Jesus uses the word righteousness in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, when he says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. Everything else will be added to you. Now, we're not just talking here about morality, about good deeds. It's, it's not merely behavior modification, Bible memorization, or, or perfect attendance at the place you call church. Loving our neighbors is not even enough. Because what Jesus is talking about is a direction, a passion. The Pharisees loved righteousness. I, I believe that. And, and yet Jesus said to them, you know what, you guys, you, you look great on the outside, but inside you're a cemetery. There's no life. There, it's, just, it's only death. 
And, and why did he say that? I think he said that because they hungered and thirsted for right living, but not right relating. They, they did not hunger for God. They did not hunger for Jesus. Righteousness is a gift from Christ. It's a byproduct of a right relationship with God. The relationship comes first. Righteousness is right living coming from right relating. So blessed are those who hunger for a right relationship with God, those whose all-consuming passion is to know Christ. Years ago, I've shared this before, I was watching a Narnia movie in the theater, and and there's a sign where, scene where, where Lucy comes face to face with Aslan. If you haven't seen it, Aslan, the lion, is, is symbolic of Christ. She comes face to face with Christ. And, and it's in the woods and it just happens. Lucy is, is, is walking and, and they, they come face to face. And I'm telling you, when, when, it, when it happened, when she came face to face with Aslan, it just it gripped my heart and it, it, it took my breath away, squeezed tears out my eyes. I'm telling you, if I would have been alone in the theater, I would have just sobbed. And, and almost immediately, I just thought, where in the world did that come from? And I sense God saying to me, you miss me. <laughs> You miss me. I mean, what if, what if all the loneliness that you're experiencing and anxiety and, and the restlessness, what if, what if the heart hunger and soul thirst, even the disappointment, what, what, if, what if those times when you're deeply disappointed in others or, or in yourself, what if they're all just the whispers of the Spirit of God saying, you miss me. You don't even know it, but you miss me. Listen, there is a hunger and a thirst deep inside you that nothing will touch, nothing except Christ, and Christ is more than enough. I'm not merely saying he can do more than enough or that he has more than enough. I'm saying that in and of his glorious self, he's more than enough. I'm saying if you have Jesus and nothing else, you have more than enough, and if you have everything but Jesus, your hunger for life will never be satisfied. So if my soul, if your soul, if our souls are so stuffed with the small stuff of everything but Jesus, then the question is, am I willing? Am I willing? Can I say right now that I'm willing to stop feeding at banquet tables where the main course is not Christ? If necessary, will I let go of the good to go after God? Do I have, and if not, do I even want a gloriously gut-wrenching hunger for Christ? Man, I do. I <laughs> do. I so desperately do. I don't always have it, but I, I want it. I, I want a glorious, gut-wrenching hunger for Christ. Like, like Paul. I, I've been doing Paul, the, Paul's letters from prison on my More Than Bread podcast. And, and even just as we're starting to get into the book of Ephesians, I, I, I'm, just, I'm kind of in awe of the wonder that Paul had for Christ, the deep devotion he had for Jesus. Listen to these glorious words from a man who had a gut-wrenching hunger for Christ. He writes in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, What is more, he says, I, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I've lost all things. He says, I consider them garbage. All the other stuff that I could have gained, I consider garbage in comparison to Christ so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that comes from trying to be perfect, trying to obey, from achieving all the spiritual stuff, but instead that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And he ends with, with these five words, I want to know Christ. 
I really believe, I do, I believe there's a great move of God ahead of us, times that we will write about and hold on to in our hearts to tell stories to our grandkids. But those times will not come if Christ is not first in our affections. So if there's a whisper, even just a whisper in your soul right now that you need to change, what's your next step? What's, What's our next step? Let me just give you potentially three. There's so many others, but for now, just three. Maybe you need to get empty. (laughs) The first part of the pathway, embrace your brokenness. Empty out the distractions. No screen time. Just lose your stinking phone. Be still. Stop striving for control. Mourn. Surrender your strength. Get empty. Figure out what small stuff you go to when your heart is restless and tell God this belongs to you. Choose righteousness over relief, like Karen said. Secondly, let encounters with God, let encounters fuel your hunger. I was working on this message in my office this week, and one night, and, and this song, this old song, You Are Worthy, came on. All the saints and angels, they bow before your throne. All the elders cast their crowns before the Lamb of God and sing, You are worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all, for from you are all things, and to you are all things, and you deserve the glory. And that song, just those, those words just led me into a time of prayer and experiencing God, where really all I could say was, you are worthy. I exalt you. You are worthy. Encountering his presence, that will fuel your hunger. Next weekend at Calvary is Seawall Sunday, Church Without, Saul, Church Without Walls Sunday, and every Seawall Sunday, we, we really encourage you to do two things. Love your neighbor and be still and know that he is God. Be still and know that he is God and love your neighbor. We, we do the first through our front yard mission and, and all the, the, the things that we give you that you can do through that. Pray for people and serve them and invite them into your home. But we do the second at Encounter. Sunday evening. It's just, it's a worship service. And so, man, just come to Encounter and ask God to fuel your hunger. And, and here's the last one. You might not expect this one, but I think it's, it's key. Go on a mission to take his righteousness to your neighbors. Not to look righteous in front of your neighbors, but to take his righteousness to your neighbors. Most of you know last February I was at Asbury, and it was near the end of their two-week-plus experience of nonstop worship and prayer. And it, and it kind of wrecked me a bit, but in a good way. Man, seeing kids and elderly adults and everything in between being led in worship by this crowd of of common ordinary humble next gen worshipers and there was so much hunger like like everybody had been missing Jesus and then they heard that he was there i mean by the end people were standing in line for hours to go in they estimated that 70,000 people had come to the campus from all over the world and there's just this hunger for the presence of Jesus the presence of peace for a generation of anxiety but to be honest what struck me equally deeply as much as the hunger was a phrase that i heard over and over again while i was there we're coming to go we're coming to go come to encounter god but go back to bring god to the to your people, to the nations, to your neighborhoods. And you know what? The nations came to Asbury, but they went back to their neighbors. They were coming to go. 
There was a young man there, 18 years old, who came from Mexico City, sold everything he had just so that he could get a, a, a plane. He traveled through four cities, four stops by plane. Then he got in a car and drove the rest of the way there. He had the flag of Mexico draped over his shoulders, kneeling at the front. He brought the flag because he wanted God to move in Mexico. He, he pulled out a white T-shirt with his youth group's logo on it, and he placed it on the altar, and he told the intercessor next to him, this represents the young people of Mexico. Will you pray for me? Pray with me for the youth of Mexico. And so they prayed there, coming to go, hungry for God, but also hungry for hungry people to meet the all-satisfying creator of our hearts. Like Jesus, hungry for God, said in, in John 4, 34, Jesus said to them, my food, here's what I'm hungry to do. My food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. We're hungry for Christ, and we're asking the Spirit of God to fill every hungry person with himself. And we just go out this next weekend, all through the week, and prayer walk, and pray for your hashtag, and ask God to fill every hungry person with himself, because blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Listen, if you have any hunger for righteousness any thirst for Christ. It is God who's awakening this in you. Your disappointment and your dissatisfaction is the whisper of the Spirit inviting you to something more. He's not mocking you. He's not holding out on you. He's calling you. He's, he's wooing you. He's created this hunger in you so that you can be truly satisfied as it draws you to Him. Make Him the passion of your soul. Don't settle for the little half-hearted satisfaction that comes from being a millionaire or writing a book or building your dream house. What, what would it look like if the shaping dream, the primary passion of your life, was the pursuit of Christ and his righteousness. What if we were to make it our prayer that in the same way that we hunger for food and thirst for drink, we will hunger for lives that are filled with mercy and pure hearts and peace, will thirst to know Christ and make him known. The Spirit says to us today, come, come and go for all those of you who are hungry and thirsty for Jesus. I want to end with a prayer from A.W. Tozier. So it's an old prayer. He died a long time ago. But his prayer is a response of a heart that had such a deep, deep longing for God. And I hope you'll just kind of make this prayer your own as I pray it over you. And, and you know what? Just as you're able, if you sense that hunger inside, then take a posture of hunger. Hands up, hands out, whatever it is for you. Maybe it's as, as simple as hands cupped in front of you. And let me pray for you. Oh, God. I have tasted your goodness, and it has both satisfied and made me thirsty for more. I'm painfully conscious of my need of further grace. I'm ashamed of my lack of desire. Oh God, the triune God, I want to want you. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be more thirsty still. Show us your glory. I pray that we may know you indeed. Would you begin in us in, in mercy a new work of love within us? Say to our soul, rise up and come away, and then give us the grace to rise and follow you up from this misty lowland, this valley where we have wandered so long. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.